promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise God in the heights. Praise the Lord, all you angels. Sing praise, all you hosts of heaven. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Sing praise, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord, heaven of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord who commanded and they were created, who made them stand fast forever and ever, giving them a law that shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and fog, tempestuous wind doing God's will. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, sovereigns of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the world, young men and maidens, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name only is exalted, whose splendor is over earth and heaven. The Lord has raised up strength for the people and praise for all faithful servants, the children of Israel, a people who are near the Lord. Alleluia. Amen. A reading from Ezekiel, chapter 39, beginning at the 21st verse. I will display my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see the judgment I have executed in the hand I have laid on them. From that day forward, The house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God, and the nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile on account of their iniquity because they dealt unfaithfully with me. Therefore I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies so that they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and transgressions, and I hid my face from them. So this is what the Lord God says, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have compassion on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will feel remorse for their disgrace and all the unfaithfulness they committed against me when they live securely in their land with no one to frighten them. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the countries of their enemies, I will demonstrate my holiness through them in the sight of many nations. They will know. (coughs) They will know that I am the Lord their God when I regathered them to their own land after having exiled them among the nations. I will leave none of them behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. This is the declaration of the Lord God. This is where the Lord thanks be to God. Well, we're finishing up chapter 39 here, and then we're going to be getting into the discussion of the new temple, but I felt it important to leave this section separate from the conversations about Gog and Magog and all that stuff, because even though it's only two paragraphs in my in my Bible, and even though it's only, what, nine verses, um, there's so much meat here. There's so much truth. There's so much uh, of the word that we need to 
we need to unpack. Um, God begins by saying, I will display my glory among the nations, among, among the non-Jewish peoples. And all the nations, the non-Jewish peoples, will see the judgment I have executed in the hand that I have laid on them. Uh, the, I think a better translation, I, I'm trying to get away, and maybe this is bad on my part, but I'm trying to get away from removing uh, the, the word judgment and using the word that should be there, which is decision. Because judgment implies condemnation, but you can have a judgment go for you, right? You can be found not guilty. You can have a lawsuit and have them find it in your name. They can, you know, all those things. It's about the deciding work of God, how God has made a decision. And here it's all the nations will see the decision I have made is, is the, the cleanest translation of the, of the Hebrew and I and the, the hand or the strength or the sign or the power that I've laid on them, that uh, God is going to display His glory by the destruction of Magog and Gog by the by the great battle at the end of days. That He's basically going to make sure that all the nations know who is the Lord, that all these other gods are not the Lord, that the Lord is Lord, Yahweh is Lord. And that he's going to make sure that people understand that he's made a, a decision around uh, everyone, that he is to be God and he is going to be your God, whether you like it or not. He is your God. Uh, that, that's where the scriptures begin for us with the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, that you have a God. And so this God... Um, is one who has made this decision through the destruction of, um, through the destruction of Gog and Magog. Um, and, uh, here he is, he is going to make sure that all the nations, not just Magog and Gog, but any other nations know that he is the Lord. And it, it brings back into focus, uh, things like, um, Pentecost. I was thinking about this, how the spirit falls and what happens. Uh, we always focus on the speaking in tongues, when in fact the thing that we focus on is that they were talking about the great works of the Lord, the, the great, the greatness of the Lord, what the Lord has done, declaring uh, God's glory, declaring his actions within history. That becomes the call of the people. It's, it's what drives me nuts about a lot of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters with this obsession about speaking in tongues. It's not about the speaking in tongues, about some sort of, of gibberish or whatever, whether it's heavenly or whatnot. It's about declaring the greatness of the Lord. But the problem is, is that with tongues, more often than not, it doesn't bring people to look to the Lord. It, it either turns people off to go, wow, those people are crazy. Or two, it, um, it, it causes us not to think about the great deeds of the Lord. And so um, we, have to, we have to be reading this text and understanding it at the end of days, that what is going to happen, God is going to bring about his glory, and he's going to make sure that everybody knows what he has done. That should be the goal of all things, of all preaching, of all teaching, of all, uh, of all things that we do in the church. It should be uh, something directed back to what God has done for you. And that's why we always point to the cross, for instance, of what God has done for you there. 
Then verse 22, from that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. I'm not going to go into that much more. This is the same word of experience. They'll, they'll know for a fact that this God who has made this great rescue is the God that they are supposed to have all their lives. And the nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile on account of their iniquity because they dealt unfaithfully with me. I, I like this verse. That's verse 23. Um, basically saying it wasn't about you, Babylon. It wasn't about you, Assyria. It wasn't about you and your greatness of being, of being uh, empire builders or anything like that. It was about their own uh, iniquity. Um, and uh, that is, I don't know, <laughs> that, that, that should be something that we should take to heart. That, that oftentimes we need to realize that people fall and things happen, not because of anything that we do, but because of their own brokenness, their own hurts, their own failures, that people are to, uh, um, are to be understood as those who God is going to be making a decision about, that he has made a decision about them. That here he's, he's trying to make sure that all the nations understand that it was his deciding work, his work in the lives of the Israelites and the Jews that brought the people into exile. And so he says he hid his face from them and he handed them over to their enemies so that they all fell by the sword and that he dealt with them according to their uncleanness and transgressions. And I hid my face from them. I, I wrote in my margin, what a scary world to be in where God deals with us according to our uncleanness and our sins rather than according to Jesus Christ, that it is that we deserve all this uh, ugliness to come upon us and yet it doesn't because of Jesus, that it is that God should deal with us according to our own failings and yet because of Christ he doesn't, because Christ comes and his cross actually has done something. That the cross is not just some possibility. It's not just something there that we go, oh, uh, if, if I just keep my nose clean, then the cross gets applied to me. No, God works according to the way that God works. And when he works, it happens. And here God is saying, I dealt with them. I sent them into exile because of their sins. And that should be a terrifying prospect for us. That should bring us back to the cross rather quickly. But then this is, this is where it takes a turn. So this is what the Lord God says. Now I will restore or bring back the fortunes or captives. It's interesting that you can have this, this word be both fortunes and captives. I will restore the fortunes or captives of Jacob and have compassion on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name or zealous for my holy name, for my glory, for my reputation, God is saying. And he's including the whole house of Israel. It's not just the land of Judah. He's including all of them. And he's talking about bringing back those who went into bondage. Talking about restoring them. And then this is, this is the, the clincher here for me. Verse 26. They will feel remorse for their disgrace and all the unfaithfulness they committed against me. And you can also translate this, that their, their unfaithfulness will be, or their disgrace will be taken away when they live securely in their land with no one to frighten them. 
Why is this important? Well, it's a strange order of events, right? You would think that they would get restored after they acknowledge their sin, that they would uh, feel remorse before they were to be restored. That, that they would feel bad. That we, we always talk. This is the, this is the way that we talk about it, right? That you are to feel bad. You are feel, you are to feel remorse. You are to repent. You are to feel sorry. You are to acknowledge your sin and then God will forgive you. That's the world that we live in. That's the mindset that we have because that's the expectation we have of other people. So it reminds me of what we looked at in Ezekiel 18, where God had to continually say, you say my way is not fair, but isn't it your way that is not fair? He's saying that his ways are above our ways, that he, he's going to work in the world in a different way. So how could he not restore someone who has not repented or whatever the case may be? And, and here he's, he's saying that they're going to feel this remorse. They're going to feel this penitence. They're going to feel sorry for their sin, not before, but after they have been restored, after they are living securely in the land with no one to frighten them, that they feel remorse after that they are rescued, that the restoration comes and then repentance. That is a weird formula for us because we expect the exact opposite. Church, is there a possibility that instead of demanding people acknowledge their sin, instead of demanding people acknowledge their failing before they come to Jesus, whatever that means, what if instead it's we allow the Spirit to work the way that the Spirit is going to work and God is going to bring people to himself in ways that we are never going to be able to imagine. That, that he is going to bring about repentance of his own accord. That repentance is not your work, that it is God's work, that it's God's turning of you, just like a, a little child running in the opposite direction. And he grabs the little head and, and turns them back towards him. That that is going to be the work of God. That here... This should stand out to us. Verse 26 of God's work in your life and in the lives of others. Instead of going around and demanding people change their lifestyle, change their lives, uh, get, get on the straight and narrow and have their noses clean. How about instead we allow God to work? he goes on to say, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the countries of their enemies, I will demonstrate my holiness through them in the sight of many nations. I will show myself to be holy, to be sacred, to be different, God is saying. That he's going to demonstrate his difference from you through what he's going to do with Israel. And what could be more different than him forgiving unrepentant sinners? Because doesn't he do that in Jesus? Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Or he does the same with Stephen. Stephen's getting stoned to death. And uh, he, he says, forgive them their, this sin. Isn't that our job? Because it's the work of God. It's the work of Christ in the world. Then verse 28, they will know that I am the Lord their God when I regather them to their own land after having exiled them among the nations. I will leave none of them behind.
behind. This, there's this sense of, uh, of a few things that, that God is going to fix the problem. The problem that we created for ourselves through our sin, through our transgressions, through our unfaithfulness. But then there's this sense of excess or more than enough when he says, I'm not going to leave anyone behind. The Hebrew gives a sense of there's going to be this overabundance of those who are brought back from exile. I don't know if that's people who converted or if that's just this sense of the poetic language that what God is going to do is more than enough. That he's going to bring about this great restoration and it's going to be life changing for many. And then he says, I will no longer hide my face from them. I will no longer remove my presence from them. He says, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. I'll pour out my breath. I'll pour out my life. I will pour out my work upon them. That it, and that it actually can be translated more in the, the matter of fact sense of I have poured out my spirit those are the things that we are to look for church if jesus christ's cross is if the if the cross is a historical reality then that is god bringing restoration before repentance that is god being bringing peace in the midst of war the war of sinners against their god if the cross is a historical reality that it's something that has happened then it is uh, something that um, we need to be thinking about as uh, something that has done exactly what it says it's done. That it's not a possibility, that it's not waiting on you to do something, that instead it is God having already done something. And that when we tie the, the receiving of that something to anything that we do, then we deny the actual power of what the cross has done. And trust me, this is not a situation of wanting to glorify sin. This is not a situation of wanting to celebrate uh, immorality or unfaithfulness. This is just dealing with the reality of the fact that the cross is something that has already taken place, that forgiveness has already come in Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven you. The problem is, is that you just spend the majority of your life denying it. Church, we need to get ourselves back to a cross-based sense of God's work in the world. That God acts before we ever have the possibility of acting. That God acts even when we act against him. My prayers are that that becomes something that is, is not just a theory, but is a reality for you. That it's not just a gospel thing. Here it's in Ezekiel. God bringing restoration before repentance. Isn't that good news, church? That should be good news. That should be something that we race to the hilltops and shout it. That God is going to bring this about regardless of how much we feel sorry. And that instead, he's going to bring us back to him because he wants you and he wants me. Let's pray. Stir up our hearts, Lord God, to prepare the way of your only Son. By his coming, strengthen us to serve you with purified lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, church, happy Advent. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.